0: The Haunted UK podcast is produced and released in stereo. Listening through an environment such as headphones or stereo speakers will ensure you get the best experience. Hello and welcome to the ghost gig. I'm Alice. Hi, and I'm Vince. We are two musicians with a slightly unhealthy obsession with horror. So, we did what any sane person would do and put the two together and made a podcast. Yeah, which means that basically we write songs about horror films. And you lucky people get to hear them. They can sound a bit like this. Next thing you know, you're getting- as a gift, so. Yeah, or like this. House, magic and there's falling maggots. Mostly magic. Or sometimes like this. Kenya Ma is not herself. She's been dancing round like she is the devil's horn. And once we even made one that sounded a bit like this. Having a crisis of identity. We also delve into some well-known spooky songs. Yeah, well, at least ones that we think we can get away with anyway. Oh, without being sued for covering. Yeah. Yeah. You might even recognise one or two. Them bones, them bones gonna walk around. Them bones, them bones gonna walk around. And then to round it all out, we tell a good old-fashioned ghost story. I mean, why would we not? So, if you fancy some spooky musical banter... Yep, interjected with some slightly questionable accents. All right, calm down. You can find us wherever you tend to seek out your podcasts. Pause this podcast right now and come and give the Ghost Gig a follow. We'll be waiting. So all there is left to say now is... Are you sitting comfortably? Then let's begin. Here at Haunted UK Podcast Towers, we're committed to giving you high quality, great episodes time after time after time. But this takes a lot of effort in research, writing, editing, recording, mixing, mastering and publishing. We don't have a fancy production company or a bank of scriptwriters or a large budget to keep everything going. We are a fully independent podcast. If you'd like to help the show, then why not get over to Coffee and search for The Haunted UK Podcast, where you can subscribe to give just £3 per month, the price of a coffee, or as much as you like. If you'd rather not sign up for a monthly subscription, then you can simply make a one-off donation. Again, as little or as much as you like. This really helps the show with our website, coffee membership, merchandise, equipment, as well as other financial commitments. So, if you feel that you'd like to help keep the lights burning, the wheels turning, and the stories rolling, then why not consider getting over to coffee and donating to the show? That's K-O hyphen F-I and search for the Haunted UK podcast. Thank you. Now, without any further delay, let's get this episode started. Momentarily, he stopped to listen, concentrating to see if he could hear anyone talking. He did this to try and gauge how many people could potentially be in the room but it was completely silent. As he went to take another step closer, the air around him dramatically dropped in temperature, and he suddenly had the frightening feeling that his throat was starting to close up. Again, he went to take another step closer, but as he prepared to do so, a chair came flying out of the room, which the banging door led into. This was then followed by a definite and unmistakable sense of pressure on his shoulders. And so, it couldn't be denied that there was someone or something lurking in the void. This is episode 45 of the Haunted UK podcast, and in this special mid-season episode, we're going to hear some of your chilling stories. With a record five listener stories episodes in season four, it's become quite clear that your appetite for hearing the stories from everyday people has grown dramatically. Just like you, the team here at Haunted UK Podcast Towers never gets tired of reading them, and we relish recording and publishing your stories. For these reasons, When putting together Season 5, we decided to drop a Listener Stories episode into the schedule. The sheer number of stories that we've received since the deadline of Season 4's Listener Stories specials has been utterly amazing. So, it's with great pleasure that we present another episode of your stories. So get comfortable for Something in the Void and other Listener Stories. We begin this episode with a collection of tales from Elizabeth, who lives in Australia. From her teenage years, it seems that Elizabeth has been able to see and hear various forms of the paranormal. But she's not the only one in her family to harbor a special gift. We'll let Elizabeth take over from here. I see dead people. Well, at least that's what I thought for most of my life. You see, childhood trauma can lead to night terrors and severe anxiety. Mix that with panic attacks and unsteady sleep, and here I am. So, I've told myself that all the times I have seen things, it probably boils down to a trauma-induced fantasy. My mind projecting its anxiety. But now, in the fullness of time, I realize that this cannot have been the case. It was real. The earliest experience I can remember was when I was about 17. We were traveling to Darwin, which would take about a week from Brisbane. We stopped in a caravan park, and I remember thinking how sweet it was that I had a cat purring in my bed, until I realized that we didn't have a cat, and there was no way one could get in and lay on top of me on the top bunk. I screamed. My stepdad at the time held me for what seemed like forever until the panic attack passed. After that, there was the young boy sat outside on the front porch when I slept over at a friend's house. He looked maybe 12, wearing dirty jeans and a very 70s orange, brown and white striped t-shirt. He would sit on the railing, just looking at me. I felt panic but I didn't scream. I just watched him fade away. Then there was the Lizzie Borden-like young girl with bobbed hair, pacing up and down the hallway and the flat I shared with my stepdad. She had a habit of pushing the door and peering into my bedroom, with her eyes peeping from behind the door. The fear would grip me after about an hour of not being able to leave my room, and I would scream alerting my stepdad, who would come to the rescue again, and soothe me until I could breathe normally. The most amusing yet terrifying experience was when my sister was heavily pregnant. We were sharing a bed for the night, and I woke up to find what looked like a demon. Pretty much exactly what Spike from Buffy the Vampire Slayer looked like, but with an evil face. This thing was hovering over my sister. I don't know what woke me up, but at the time I was facing away from her. As I turned over, I was confronted with this thing staring at my sister with her huge belly. Whatever this entity was, it then hissed at me and disappeared. I screamed out in terror, causing my brother to come running into our room in his boxer shorts holding a chef's knife like the protector he was. By this time, my sightings were so frequent that my mum and siblings, and even I, would just laugh at the sight of my brother and would go back to sleep. Speaking of my siblings, I have three sisters. One in particular, Paulina, has a sixth sense. My mum, who lived from 1955 to 2004, love telling us the story of a very strange incident that occurred when i was just a tiny baby mum was outside hanging washing at when a plane flew overhead paulina would have been around five years old at the time she began crying and screaming saying that the plane was going to crash and that the kids on board were going to die the plane did indeed crash and horrifically Many of its passengers were children who were on a school trip that day. Another incident which displayed Paulina's abilities happened when I borrowed her car one evening when I was 18. For some inexplicable reason, she suddenly woke up to the sound of someone screaming her name. Paulina! At the exact same time, I accidentally hit the accelerator pedal instead of the brake and drove her pride and joy straight into the solid brick letterboxes outside the front of our house. As I grew older and more mature, I began to become less afraid of my visitors and actually started to forget about them. If I did have an experience, I would just ask the visitor to go away or tell them that I didn't have the energy to deal with them at that time. And surprisingly, it worked. For a while. All of the above incidents however were leading up to probably the most significant experience of my life. I was 19 and it was 2000. My mum, stepdad, sister Paulina, nephew Christopher and I were living in Wangaratta, Victoria. My sister Penny, who was the middle child, had been living there for some time with her husband. So, my mum decided that we should move there as well. is my eldest sister's son. She's about as mentally stable as a pin balancing on its head. So my mother raised Christopher from birth. It was now the age of the internet, and I was quite the adventurous type. Instead of staying at home, I would instead spend weekends with friends in Sydney and sleepovers with my mates between rally driving around the countryside. I remember returning from my adventures. And my mum telling me that Christopher had a new imaginary friend. We all thought that it was adorable, that he would talk to this friend when he was playing. He also had a toy, which was a plastic type of ball that had buttons on it, which you could push. These buttons would activate music or sayings, and the ball would roll around. One of the sayings was, Hello, baby. We all hated that toy as it would just randomly turn on and start saying, Hello, baby. We eventually took the batteries out and shoved it in the back of the linen closet, but it would still play on the odd occasion. But it wasn't so adorable when my mum came home one day, went to the kitchen to get a drink, and felt her hair stand straight up. She turned around to find a portly man in a tuxedo, standing there smiling at her. She wasn't scared, just surprised. He told her not to worry. They were only there to look after Christopher. I'm not sure how long after it was, but my sister was playing with the microphone on her computer, recording Christopher singing the alphabet. When she played it back, everyone there heard a very deep voice saying, Christopher, how are you? A few days later, the audio file strangely became corrupted and we were never able to recover it. Unfortunately, I was out with friends, as per usual. Because my family knew how sensitive I was to such phenomena, they decided not to tell me about the toy, the strange voice on the recording or the man in the tuxedo who appeared in our kitchen. But I didn't need anyone to tell me. I had my own experience. On this particular occasion, I was actually home for once and asleep, but my sleep was disturbed when I heard a little girl's voice giggling next to me and making funny noises. Still half asleep, I started giggling with her and said, Shh, you're going to wake everyone up. At this point, I realized I was home and there wasn't meant to be anyone else in my room. I sat up to see a little girl, maybe 8 to 10 years old, in a white summer dress with blonde curls in tiny pigtails with blue ribbons. Standing next to her was a chubby man in a tuxedo and a beautiful blonde lady wearing a knee-length white cotton shift dress. They all stood at the end of my bed, (laughs) smiled, giggled a bit, and then one by one walked straight through the window and outside. I can't recall any more instances in that house. We were only there for about six months. Christopher doesn't remember his friends at all either, but we all remember that cursed toy. Hello, baby. My daughter has a similar one, but thankfully it doesn't turn on at random. I still to this day have feelings and see things. For my 33rd birthday, I went on a ghost tour at Temple Newsham. In every room, I knew who and where the spirits were. In one room, there was a gentleman talking to us via the resident psychic, and when he asked for the spirit's name, both the medium and I said his name at the same time. I don't know if it was staged or not, but it happened. I'm thankful that I now live in a new build house and have never felt anything here for more than a brief few moments. But the stables where I used to keep my horses were quite active. It was never fun to be riding there late at night. I mean, what's a lady in a big grey dress doing roaming in the stable block in the middle of the night? Thanks for reading, Elizabeth. This next story, which was sent in by Janine, is very strange indeed. It ties together the events in a nightmare... Which she experienced over many, many years, together with a chance opportunity of a job and a house with a dark reputation. I recently came across your podcast and absolutely love it. My name is Janine and I live in Bedford. I thought I would tell you a story of just one of the strange and unexplained incidents that has happened in my life. Since as long as I can remember, I have always felt the presence of spirits and even on several occasions have seen people and animals. But there's one experience which haunts me to this very day. As a very young child, I would have an awful nightmare of a man who would stand in my bedroom and stare at me. Sometimes I would wake up screaming but still see or feel this person in my room. But was he really there? Or was this simply a case of my imagination playing tricks on me? As I grew into adulthood, I continued to have these dreams. These dreams of that man and an old house I had never been to before. And I still found them to be just as scary as I did when I was a child. Now this is where it gets interesting. Eight years ago, I started working for Cranfield University... And as i was being shown around i was taken to a very well-known house referred to by several staff members as the haunted house or the harry potter house as soon as i got there i immediately felt uneasy it had three levels and my tour began by being shown around the downstairs level we then ventured upstairs and again as soon as we got to the top of that particular staircase I felt an undeniable sense of dread wash over me. The final staircase beckoned, but I stopped at the door that led to this staircase. I couldn't really continue. I felt dreadful, and I wasn't sure why. It was here, at this moment by the door, that my dreams suddenly came flooding back to me, and I told my cousin, who was showing me around the house, that I had been here before but not in this life. Details of the house cascaded into my mind's eye. It was all so vivid. I told her that I could even describe to her what was behind that door and up those stairs. She looked at me with a mixture of fascination and curiosity. I proceeded to inform her that behind the door, the stairs were very narrow, and around halfway up was a door She looked at me in shock, and even said, Oh my God, how the hell do you know that? I told her about my dreams, about the man who constantly terrified me in them, and there was often a staircase in the dreams, and a door, and it was the exact same staircase and door that we were looking at, at that precise moment. Admittedly, it took a lot of mental strength to look up those stairs and at that door, knowing that they were exactly as I described them. I did venture into that house a few more times afterwards and witnessed a number of strange incidents. Doors would open by themselves, items would appear to move with no one near them, and there was always this incredibly strong feeling that you were never alone. Many students would often share comments about the house, noting in particular how haunted it was. Unfortunately, though, The house and the houses around it were demolished, the land was cleared, and new houses were built. As I said before, I love the stories on the podcast, so keep up the good work. Janine We now move on to an amazing collection of stories from a listener who wishes to remain anonymous. The men and women in our armed forces do a job that many of us would find completely impossible. At a moment's notice, they can be sent into situations and scenarios where they could find that their lives are literally on the line. But as many of them will say, we're just doing our job. These individuals are trained to the highest standards and have skills and knowledge which enable them to operate in conditions which the average person would find unbearable. But it's also these same positive attributes which make these people in the armed forces excellent witnesses. So sit back and listen to these fantastic stories told by an ex-RAF officer. Stories of ghost and poltergeist encounters which she not only had as a child but also as an adult when stationed at two RAF bases. I listened to episode 40, part 5, Flight in Time, and was intrigued to hear a listener story about an RAF station. I served in the RAF for nine years and have a few stories to tell. But first off, a little backstory about me. I've always been able to sense and see things that others can't, I have vivid memories from when I was a child of seeing ghosts in my room, knowing things that I shouldn't have known, and even having dreams that came true. This used to scare me as a child, especially when I would see someone stood at the end of my bed, but my parents would put it down to an overactive imagination. I knew it wasn't, but never learned how to control it, so I ended up becoming scared of my gifts for many years and this in turn led to some scary situations at some RAF bases I was posted to. Here are just a few stories. My basic training was at RAF Halton. My intake was amazing and it remains as being one of the best experiences of my life. Halton is a very old station and the recruit training part is one of the oldest. The buildings are also very old. One night During basic training, it was very windy, and my bed space was next to the fire escape, which was rattling like mad. I was also the last in the row of beds, and the beds further down were unoccupied. As I lay there, a noise woke me up, and I rolled over to see if the door had been opened, but found myself looking at two people stood in the middle of the room talking, and occasionally walking up and down one empty bed space. As you can imagine, basic training is exhausting and I was in no mood to be kept up by roommates chatting away. I said to them, If you're going to talk, can you go back to your bed space, please? I'm trying to sleep. Both the figures stopped and turned to look at me. The room was dark, so I couldn't really make out any facial features. I rolled back over and closed my eyes, immediately reopening them as I had the chilling realization that they were wearing male caps and had bomber jackets on. This was a woman's block, and our hats were very different, and none of us wore bomber jackets. I immediately sat up and flicked on the light, expecting to confront these two men for being in the women's room, but there was no one there. That was not an easy night's rest for me. On another occasion, I woke up in the night and looked over at my bunkmate opposite, and her bed space was like a hospital room. Floor to ceiling curtains, and an old-style hospital bed. I sat up and rubbed my eyes, and just as quickly as I saw it, it vanished, and the bed returned to normal. I got back in touch with my opposite bunkmate many years later, detailing my experiences at Halton to her, and she said, ''Ah.'' So you saw them too, with regards to the two male figures, also confirming details about them that I had not told her. Interestingly, she revealed that she'd also experienced the hospital room time slip. My next story was when I was posted to RAF Northolt. As I was unmarried, I moved into the blocks which were old pre-war H blocks. RAF Northolt has a lot of history, and was a battle of Britain airfield, with some of the buildings still having the camouflage paint on the rooftops. It has since been completely redeveloped, and many of the old buildings were torn down and replaced with modern equivalents. My room was on the ground floor, and there were around eight rooms in each corridor on two levels. That's if I remember correctly. This was a long time ago, so I may be slightly wrong. From the very first night I stayed, I felt a sense of unease and a feeling of being watched. These rooms were single occupancy, so once the door was shut, you were completely alone. I put these feelings down to being in a new place and hoped that they would fade as I settled in. However, over the next few weeks, the feelings of being watched got stronger, and things in my room would move with no explanation. My window also got stuck a lot, so I rarely opened it as I had to get someone to push from the outside to help close it. It was easier to just keep it shut. The corridor had a fire door, so there was no strong draft to consider either. I had a mirror on the side of my wardrobe, and on numerous occasions when I opened the door, I would see a dark figure quickly move from my view. But when I turned around, my room would always be empty. My television also turned itself on a couple of times. It was a clunky old little portable thing, which you had to physically push a button to turn on. I also had many experiences of sleep paralysis, and on one disturbing occasion, I saw a dark shadow at the end of my bed while my arms and legs were being lifted up. I was unable to scream and could do nothing but watch my arms and legs lift higher and higher. I eventually managed to make small sounds, and I felt my entire body drop back onto the bed. I slept with the light on for the rest of that particular night. With all of these things happening to me in that room, a work colleague commented that I looked tired. I just said that I was struggling to get used to the new room, but was sure that I eventually would. As the new girl on the base, I didn't really want to tell anyone that I was seeing ghosts but it was as if she already knew, because she then asked if I'd been seeing shadows and noticing if things had been moving around. I was astonished and said yes, and then she told me that two years before my arrival, that exact corridor had been exercised on several occasions. I was shocked, but this gave me the confidence to tell her everything that I'd been experiencing. She said that the girls call him Polish Pete, but they have no idea who he is. But as the block likely housed Polish pilots in World War II, it was a name that stuck. She then reassured me from past experience that he was just simply curious and would move on when someone new got posted in the block. From that moment on, I made a point of saying hello to Pete whenever I felt him or saw his shadow. And after I started doing that, the sense of unease disappeared. I wasn't so scared anymore, and there seemed to be less activity going on in my room in regard to things being moved about. Perhaps he just wanted some acknowledgement. We decided never to tell any new girls who were coming into the block about Pete. Some of them spoke up about their experiences, and some of them didn't. Today, that block is sadly no longer there, after being torn down. It has since been replaced by the new Junior Ranks mess and Naffy buildings. I don't know if Pete stayed or went when the block was torn down. There are many more stories I could share about my experiences in the RAF and honestly, I could fill a book with them all, but these are the ones that stood out the most. Just for clarification, I have not included any names or dates to protect my identity and those I have mentioned. Since those RAF days, I have learned to control my gifts and now have no fear when I have a visitor or have something unexplained happen. I just smile and say hello. I'm sure that if you put a call out, you'd be surprised by how many people in the military will come forward with their experiences. Thank you for your podcast. They make the commute to and from work More interesting. Kind regards, a listener. This next story was sent in by Linda and this incident also took place on an RAF base. But instead of it involving adult officers, this experience happened to Linda as a five-year-old child. And it's a sighting which she will never forget. Linda writes. I really love listening to your podcast and always try to think of a logical explanation to account for the various experiences that are being reported. Some of the scientific and psychological reasoning for many of these experiences is that the recipients have been mentally primed by previous events or hearsay. I think this is highly likely. For example, you only have to walk past a graveyard at nighttime and jump when you hear the slightest noise. Quite a few episodes include electrical appliances, like radios suddenly turning on at high volume in the middle of the night. This happened to me once, and I found out there had been a power cut. So when the power came back on, the surge must have turned my smart speaker on at maximum volume, with Lionel Richie blasting out, ''Hello, is it me you're looking for?'' My niece, who was staying with me at the time, was terrified, thinking it was my late husband trying to contact me i personally thought it was funny however one experience i cannot explain happened in the 1960s when i was five years old this was an era when children ran free were very innocent and sheltered from anything spooky scary or violent i was playing hide and seek with my sisters and brothers and because we lived on an raf base We were playing on the edge of an airfield. My sister started counting, and we all ran off to hide. There was a high grassy hump in front of me, and I saw a brick entrance, so I quickly ran inside to hide. I could hear my sister outside starting to hunt for us, and as I stood there in the darkness, my eyes getting used to the lack of light, I saw a lady standing on the opposite side of the room. She was dressed in a uniform with a cap and had a shoulder bag. I remember thinking, she looks nice. As I looked at her, I noticed that she was staring directly towards me. I wasn't afraid in the slightest, but decided to go and get my older sister so that she would come and see her too. I ran outside and told my sister about the woman in uniform, and she came straight back with me to take a look. But the lady had gone. If the lady had left that building, she would have been seen by my sister, who was only yards away outside. So where had she gone? And who was she? Back home at tea time, we told our parents, and our father told me that I had run into one of the old air raid shelters that were used in the war. Looking back now, my parents definitely believed me, but didn't offer any explanations as to what or who this woman could have been. A few days later, our father told us that there was construction work taking place around the airfield, so the area was now dangerous. We never went back there to play again. Was when I saw an image of someone from years ago, a kind of photograph from the past? Was there local gossip about sightings that my parents knew about, hence them putting the airfield out of bounds? I wish I'd asked them. Best regards, Linda. Keeping with the military vibe, our next collection of stories was sent in by Barry, an ex-army officer who had been on multiple tours in Afghanistan. Barry has had a number of strange experiences throughout his life, and the stories that you are about to hear are nothing short of fascinating and intriguing. As already mentioned, many people consider those in the armed forces to be excellent witnesses because of their attention to detail due to their training, and Barry is no different. Hi there, my name is Barry and I live in a very rural, rustic area of deep Lancashire. I've lived here for around four years now and have already had two encounters here that I believe to be of a paranormal nature. I have four stories that I'd like to share with you, so I'll start from the beginning. Story 1 In around 2004-2005, to 2005, I was working late with a friend to help him finish up some work he was struggling to complete in accordance with an agreed deadline. I said I'd help him get finished, so we started work the next day at around 7am and worked right through until 10pm until everything was ready for handover. After we'd finished, I drove home and at that time I lived alone with just a pet cat named Dave. I made my way through the front door and locked it behind me, then sat down and began to think about making some food, getting a bath and calling it a night. When, as clear as day, I heard a man's voice say, Are you knackered, Barry? Without even thinking about it, I replied, yes, I'm absolutely... Then I just stopped and realized that nobody was there. I looked at my cat who was perched on the arm of the chair and he was giving me those Garfield eyes as if to say, stupid human. The whole atmosphere then fell absolutely silent. And I mean, silent. No sounds of a car or wind All rain to be heard. Not a neighbour, not even a vibration from some household appliance. Not a single sound. This lasted for around five seconds or so, and then everything went back to normal again. The cat started grooming himself, I heard normality from outside, and the fridge continued with that ever-familiar humming sound that never seemed to stop. I don't know if it was just me or my imagination... But I clearly heard someone's voice that night. And to this day, I cannot explain it. Story 2 This incident took place when my wife, daughter and I first moved here after I left my final posting in the army. I found a local job in a care home as a maintenance manager, which, given my employment background, seemed like a steady, slow-paced, stress-free job. It would give me the chance to find my feet in our new home and village to ease my way back into civilian life. But there was a cataclysmic catch. This was during the first and second lockdowns of the COVID-19 virus pandemic. And there were fatalities because of COVID-19 within the care home that I was now employed at. At this time, the NHS was hit heavily And if you remember, there was an accommodation crisis within the hospitals where they were running out of beds. So, our care home was one which NHS requested a whole corridor of the home to act as a temporary overspill for our local hospital, should there be a need for it. It was my job to clear, fix, maintain and make ready all the rooms, beds, equipment and amenities, and to ensure everything was up to standard for an intake of patients at a moment's notice. Part of this was repairing all door handles and locks on every door all the way down the corridor. The place was absolutely emptied of all apparatus. The care workers had relocated all of the residents onto another floor. The cleaners sanitized the whole corridor and then I completely stripped the spaces of everything until there was nothing more than walls and doors. It was at this point that I started to repair everything that was needed. While I was coming to the last two or three door handles, I could hear footsteps, as if someone was down at the bottom end of an area I could not quite clearly see. I could see all the way down the corridor, but not around one corner. Right next to where I was positioned was the lift, which was the only way on or off the corridor, and this was my line of sight. I could also see the whole of the corridor, right down to a canteen area, which was like a lounge. This had a kitchenette area attached to it and was a mid-sized room all of its own. It was in there that I heard the fast tapping of seemingly rushed footsteps. Now the nature of the steps sounded to me like a member of staff, as they were steady and controlled, whereas an elderly resident's footsteps would have sounded more shuffled with an unsteady characteristic so I thought nothing of it other than how I'd never seen or heard them come out of the lift and walk past me. It was quite possible though that I could have been inside a room rummaging through my tool bag I suppose but then something very strange happened. Just out of the corner of my eye I caught a glimpse of a lady's flowery dress flow into one of the rooms at the bottom of the corridor. This was strange in itself as the staff wore a navy blue uniform. I shouted, Hello? Excuse me? Hello? To which there was no reply. So I stopped what I was doing and started walking towards the room, still clearly addressing whoever was in there. This particular corridor was no longer in use, and was therefore out of bounds. So as I continued towards the room, I started to think that it may have been a visiting relative who'd maybe automatically just gone to where they normally would have on visits. Once I reached the doorway that I'd seen her walk into, I entered the room. There was absolutely nobody there. I never told anybody about this. I just went back to the door I was working on and carried on as if it had never happened. It didn't affect me the way that I thought seeing a ghost would as I never felt afraid or uneasy or watched over in any way. In fact, it didn't feel spooky or creepy one bit, given the fact that I was on my own in an empty corridor of a care home. It was almost a feeling of, yes, that just happened. I know it happened and I should just get on with what I'm doing. Strangely, I felt completely at ease with the whole experience. Unlike my third story. Story 3 So, going back a little to my time in the army during one of my tours of Afghanistan, I and a few of the lads decided to take a look into the lost art of pipe smoking, something that for men of our age was absolutely unseen. But it is something that has stuck with me and something I still practice daily, especially while out walking my dog. Where I live, I'm surrounded by farmland which is currently being built on. But the remaining land is still being farmed. This may change if the contractors fence it off and expand the area of new builds. This particular piece of land I walk, Duke, my dog on, is hand-railed by a medium-to-large-size industrial estate, which during the Second World War was a small airfield used for the shipment and supply of goods out to the areas of operations at that time. The airfield was an American-led airbase, and the units on site were predominantly US and Canadian forces, so our little village back in the day would have been awash with jeeps and GIs, something that I would have loved to have seen. One night, I was walking Duke along our ever-familiar patches of land, allowing him to run free of his lead bound in and out of the bushes and trees, and sprint in large circles over and across the open fields. I would, of course, take out my old tobacco pipe and begin to prepare it for its evening's use. Usually, on any other day, we would have this whole area to ourselves, but tonight, the farmer was out in his tractor, ploughing his fields with the tractor all lit up as dusk was upon us. Because of this, Duke always stayed within a few yards of me and didn't venture out as far as he normally would. As I was lighting my pipe, I could see the farmer in his cab looking at me. Like, really, really looking at me. Now, I know that the area of land that I'm using is permitted to the public, so that wasn't of any particular concern, but I was now beginning to wonder if that was only within a certain time bracket or maybe not while the farmer is working on the land, which would absolutely make sense, so I raised my hand to acknowledge him, almost as if to say, sorry mate, I'll put him on his lead and we'll be on our way. So with that, I ushered Duke to my position and began to fix him to his lead, when suddenly everything lit up as bright as blackpool illuminations. I looked up to see the farmer heading straight for me, I could now also see how intently he was staring at me, and how irritated he seemed to be that I was there. As the tractor got closer and closer to me with its lights on full beam, I began to get nervous about what could potentially happen. I'd never upset anyone in our village before, and it's the last thing that I wanted to do. So I awaited his approach, and hoped that whatever was about to happen could be straightened out as respectfully and politely as possible. As the farmer came to a slow halt next to me he looked straight at me and said So you are real then? I didn't quite know what he meant and it didn't make any sense to me at all. So I just replied Yes mate, I'm sorry I'm on your land. I saw you working but I didn't think it would be a problem to walk on this side. I'll move along and remove myself from your land. To which he replied Don't be daft mate, you crack on. It's absolutely fine. I just thought you were a ghost. Obviously, I wasn't expecting that. So, of course, we had a chat. And he told me that he took over this land around 18 months ago from a father and son who had farmed the land for generations. Around six months after he'd taken over, he said that he was out in this field and could see in the distance a youngest chap seemingly smoking and walking. He said this guy was walking straight towards him. And as he carried on with his duties, he began to smell pipe tobacco. He said that he looked around, and right there in front of his cab was a young man, who he estimated to be in his twenties. This man was looking up at him, cradling a tobacco pipe. The farmer said he spoke to him by saying, ''All right, mate, how's it going?'' To which the young man replied, ''Not too bad, thanks, mate. How do I get back to the airfield?'' Now, this didn't particularly seem out of the ordinary, as people still referred to it as the airfield today. But what was strange was that he had an American accent. The farmer thought nothing more of it and directed him across the road to the industrial estate, where the airfield once was. The young man then said, Thank you very much, sir. Have a good evening. To which the farmer replied, Yes, and you too, mate. And with that, he was gone. The farmer then told me that night he went for a drink in the local pub after work with two of the other farmers, both now retired, and told them about this young man smoking a pipe and asking for directions. One of them said, "'Was he American?' "'Yes,' said the farmer. They then looked at each other and told him about their own experiences with the young man. After telling me this, he said, "'I saw you smoking a pipe.' And I thought you'd come back, but when I shone my lights at you, you didn't disappear, so I came over to make sure you were real. We both had a little laugh over it and I said, I'm as real as they come, mate, and with that we wished each other a good night. He carried on working and I stepped off to continue my walk feeling quite happy that the whole thing went well, but I began to wonder if his story was in fact true. Or was he just saying it for conversation value? Who knows, I thought, and continued on with my walk. I basically walked the whole perimeter of the fields and was approaching my exit when I looked back towards the tractor and waved my hand to both say goodbye to the farmer and to notify him that I was about to exit his land. He acknowledged this by flashing his lights at me. Quite impressive, I thought. I was now about to step into the gap between the trees which led me out onto the road. This then led on to my house, a journey I had made countless times. But as I stepped through the gap, I heard the voice of a young American lad say, "Can I, buddy?" My blood ran cold. I still walk that land, and since then absolutely nothing has happened, but every single time I step onto that land, I get goosebumps as sharp as pins. For the whole time I'm there, I feel like I have eyes on me until the very moment I step back off it again. It's only then that everything goes back to normal. The goosebumps disappear and everything is calm again. My one comfort throughout these times is my dog's behavior. If he isn't alerted to anything, then I trust in his intuition. I hope you can make something from what I've sent to you, but if not, it's fine. I kind of enjoyed retelling these stories to you, because it's the first time I've told anyone about them. All the very best, Barry. We now move on to our last two fascinating stories, which were sent in by Jordan, and they're the reason that this episode is entitled, Something in the Void these experiences one which happened to him personally and the other which happened to a work colleague both took place in locations which were supposed to be empty of all human activity a train station and an abandoned care home working as security officers jordan and his colleague are used to working in places alone places where some people wouldn't dream of venturing into and it's in these places that the paranormal can sometimes show itself. I just want to start by saying thank you for an amazing podcast. I stumbled upon your show a couple of weeks ago, and I've been binge-listening at work. I'm currently at the start of Season 3's Listener Stories. I was going to wait until I'd caught up before sharing a few of my stories. However, something happened last night at work that I wanted to share with you. I work as a mobile security officer. Essentially, I drive around at night, lock buildings up, complete patrols, and then unlock buildings in the morning. I also respond to buildings when their alarms have been activated and always hope and pray prior to arriving that the site hasn't been broken into. Quite frankly, I really don't want to come face-to-face with someone who has broken into a building that I look after. And if I'm being honest... I dread the paperwork that comes with it even more. But I digress. Due to the nature of my job, I won't be able to reveal the exact locations which are mentioned, but I hope you enjoy the stories nonetheless. So last night, the 15th of October 2023, I was locking up a train station. As part of my duties, I walked the concourse and platform to ensure it's free of people and as most nights, it was clear. However, as I turned around to head back down the stairs, I heard the sound of a whistle, and it sounded like it was coming from the platform behind me. I turned around, but couldn't see anyone. So I walked to the end of the platform to ensure that no one was hiding, but no one was there. As far as I was aware, there were no engineers scheduled to work on the track, So I called the office to ask if they could confirm this as I didn't want to lock anybody in. They assured me that no last-minute works had been arranged and that the only person scheduled to be there was me. I completed my lockup and returned to my vehicle and took my break. Whilst sat there, I decided to do a little bit of research on the station and found out it was built in the mid-19th century. However, I couldn't find any reports of the station itself being haunted. When I began to look into the town itself, I found out that it is regarded as one of the most haunted towns in England, with its own grey lady and a monk. The grey lady is said to appear at the town's cathedral, same time, same date, every year. I've never experienced this myself, however I might try and catch it next year. The above incident did leave me wondering though, was the whistle I heard someone who had passed away many years ago, a spirit who still feels compelled to complete their duties and see the trains off? Story two. This story comes from one of my colleagues at work. So for the sake of keeping his identity anonymous, we'll call him Dave. When Dave first started working with the company, part of his beat was to patrol an abandoned care home. He would check the outside of the building for any signs of damage, but due to it being an abandoned building, he would also have to check the inside for things like rough sleepers, signs of drug use and urban explorers. Now, prior to Dave going into the site, a few of the guys we work with told him that they now refused to go inside the building, as they believed it to be haunted. Naturally, Dave presumed they were trying to wind him up, being the new guy and all. He told me that the first time he was there, he didn't have any problems at all, apart from when he went upstairs. The door leading to the corridor slammed when he was about a quarter of the way down the hallway, but after checking the door, he found that it closed slowly at first, and when it got to about halfway, it would slam shut. This carried on for a few weeks with the guys at work asking him if he'd seen anything, to which he'd replied that he hadn't. He did mention, though, that the atmosphere always felt a bit off, and he always got the impression that he was being watched, but he put this down to the guys at work getting into his head. That was until one particular night. Dave went to do his normal patrol, but when he entered the building every instinct was telling him to turn around and leave. He said that looking back on it now, it was almost as if something was literally inside his head, screaming at him, telling him that he wasn't welcome and to leave immediately. He also mentioned that being inside the building just felt wrong, as if something else was in there that night. It's at this point that I would like to mention that he was an ex-military officer and didn't scare easily. Dave continued on and completed his patrol of the lower floor as normal and then, as always, carried on upstairs. Whilst walking down the corridor, he waited for the familiar slamming sound of the door closing, which, as already mentioned, happened when he was a quarter of the way down. But on this occasion, it was followed by another sound of a door slamming but repeatedly and this time it was coming from the opposite end of the corridor he commented that this did make him jump but said he wasn't too worried as he just presumed it was kids who had broken in and were messing around so he began to walk towards the banging door knowing that the side room it led into didn't have any other doors or rooms leading off it if there was anyone in there The only way out would be to go past him. He was about halfway down the corridor when the door suddenly stopped slamming. This was followed by a brief moment of eerie silence. Momentarily, he stopped to listen, concentrating to see if he could hear anyone talking. He did this to try and gauge how many people could be potentially in the room, but it was completely silent. As he went to take another step closer, the air around him dramatically dropped in temperature and he suddenly had the frightening feeling that his throat was starting to close up. Again, he went to take another step closer but as he prepared to do so, a chair came flying out of the room which the banging door led into. This was then followed by a definite and unmistakable sense of pressure on his shoulders and so... It couldn't be denied that there was someone or something lurking in the void. It was at this point that he turned around and ran out of the building as fast as he could and never went inside again. He fully believes that the presence he felt that night was pure evil. In fact, borderline demonic. When I asked him if there was any chance a couple of kids could have thrown the chair... He told me that it was a very heavy office-style chair, the type that was very awkward and difficult to pick up, let alone to throw. We still look after this building. However, it is set to be demolished soon and is now surrounded by fencing. We are now only required to perform drive-by patrols. I've never been inside the building, but every time I've done a drive-by patrol, I've always had the feeling that I'm being watched. I've even seen lights being flicked on and off. And every now and then, out of the corner of my eye, I'm sure I see someone inside. A flicker of a person with their eyes on me. But when I choose to take another look, there's never anything or anyone there. Whilst I am unable to back up Dave's story, the more I've got to know him, the more I'm sure that he is telling the truth. I find him to be an extremely trustworthy person, and every time I hear him tell someone else the story, not a single detail changes. Personally, I fully believe him, and will do until someone proves otherwise. I hope you enjoyed my stories. Thank you once again for making a truly enjoyable podcast, and I look forward to binge listening to the rest of the episodes. Kind regards, Jordan. So there you have it, another amazing collection of intriguing, creepy and baffling stories, all sent in from people just like you. Whilst many of us continue to search for answers regarding reports of paranormal and supernatural phenomenon, we still need to be aware that people who have these encounters shouldn't be ignored judged, or ridiculed. We should instead try to understand why and how these strange events can possibly occur. Whilst I'm a huge believer in the scientific models which our world, solar system, galaxy and universe exist in, I'm not so ignorant as to believe that science has the answers to everything. New scientific discoveries are being made all the time, so maybe one day, sometime soon, the answers that we are all seeking with regards to the paranormal will finally be exposed in one of these discoveries. But until that time comes, and until those discoveries are made, it's still a good idea to continue to be fully aware of your surroundings, to keep asking questions, and above all, to keep your wits about you. Because the next person to have an encounter with the paranormal Or perhaps to be a subject of a short haunt. Or to have their experience become part of a Listener Stories episode, just like this one, could be you. Do you have an interesting story which you'd be willing to share with the show? If so, your story could feature in our end-of-season Listener Stories episodes. Please get in touch with the show via email at contactus at hauntedukpodcast.com, marking the subject as listener story. We're waiting for your stories. As well as coffee, you can also follow the Haunted UK podcast on Twitter at Haunted UK Pod and on Instagram at Haunted UK Podcast. You can also find us on our website at www.hauntedukpodcast.com where you'll be able to keep up to date with news and announcements, browse and download our episode scripts, get in touch with us, and much, much more. This episode was presented by Steve, produced by Pink Flamingo Home Studio, which you can also find on Instagram by searching for at Pink Flamingo Home Studio, The script for this episode was edited by Marie Waller Proofreading. For more information about this service, contact Marie at mariewaller.proofreading at gmail.com. For a list of all research sources which we found helpful for the writing of this episode, please see the show's notes. Thank you again for listening to and supporting the Haunted UK podcast. So until the next episode, stay safe and take care.